Amen. Thank you, Terry. That's really why we're able to come and celebrate together because of redemption. Um, you know, it's great that we accept one another. As a matter of fact, we're commanded to in Romans fifteen seven. It says, accept one another then just as God has accepted you in Christ Jesus in order to bring praise to God. But the reason we're able to really receive and accept each other is because we know we have been received and accepted by God himself. That's what it's all about. The good news hitting home, hitting a heart, and changing us together. The message this morning of entitled Hanging Together, it's not about God taking away our troubles. It's about God working through us as we face the troubles and how together we're victorious. And Paul, we know where he wrote these words from. He, he was in a prison. Uh, circumstances seem bleak from that point of view. But the book's about joy. Why? Because he understood the real condition of his heart. And the real destination that he was headed. And it produced a joy uh, that was within him. So turn with me to Romans chapter I mean, I've got my head in Romans. Philippians 3. You think I would uh, have my head in Philippians since we've been here a while. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. So we read a great section of Scripture. Often uh, it's used New Year's messages. It talks about pressing on forward for the new year. But 12 through 16 of Philippians 3 as we talk about hanging together in the Lord. Ask when you find that if you'll stand in our God's honor as I read aloud. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on for which toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let's pray. Father, it's humbling to realize you gave your all for me. Father, we can only be saved when we realize we're lost. When there's something to be saved from. Thank you, Father, that Paul, had, he was so successful. But you changed him, Lord. And all that once seemed important, he realized wasn't. You gave him forgiveness and peace and, and a mission that mattered that was eternal. And Father, uh, may that be our story. As we look this morning at your word, may you speak to our hearts. And Holy Spirit, we simply invite you to minister to us, Father, as we look at your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Those early leaders of our great country sat in a room as they discussed the future of forming a new country. And as they talked about the Declaration of Independence, they also began to look honestly at the risks 
And basically, we were either going to have a new country or there was going to be a lot of death sentences, a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, and loss. And uh, it said that the Benjamin Franklin spoke up and he said, We must all hang together, guys, or most assuredly, we will all hang separately. And God's call to us is to hang together regardless of what is faced. I mean, let's face it, life itself, although we hear these messages of, of name it and claim it and you know, guess it and bless it and all this. Uh, the truth is that the Christian life has a lot of hard work, not just dreamy praying and goofy songs. But there are tough times that are to be faced. Just day-to-day work um, as we experience His joy, as we experience His strength, as we move forward together. I love what the founder of the Holiday Inn, Kimmins Wilson, When they asked him, what's the key to your success? He said, it's very simple. He said, all you have to do is work half days. You just have to decide whether you want to work the first 12 hours or the second 12 hours. Uh, No shortcuts. Paul, as he writes of, of this race in verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. Now, as we examine Paul, as we looked earlier in the chapter, as he shared his own testimony, he said, I was a person of prestige. I served with the top leaders in the Jewish court system. They knew me. I had a household name. I had the schooling. I had the zeal. I had the talent. As far as the law goes, I was a Pharisee. And I was one of those people who said, this guy keeps the law. and I mean, he keeps it strictly. He said, to righteousness, blameless. No finger pointing with the way he kept the law. He said, I had arrived. But yet something changed. You see, he was marching on that Damascus road. He was, he was heading out to persecute Christians. And he was blinded and he was brought to his knees and he was humbled. And as he was brought to his knees, he said, who are you? Who's doing this? And he revealed Jesus Christ was the one who who brought him to his knees, who blinded him. And when he was able to see, he was able to see the wounds in his hands and the wounds in his feet. But he didn't hear rebuke. He heard forgiveness and he heard mission. He heard, there's other people out there, Paul, who need to know that there's hope and that there's love that is to be shared. And so he sent him on this mission. And as we look through this section of Scripture, I want to look, as you notice in your outline, five truths that are critical to this hanging together for the cause of Christ. First, the plan is progress, not perfection. Notice what he says. He says, I haven't already obtained this, and and I'm not perfect. He says, I've not regarded myself of, of fully getting this, of having fully arrived it's nothing for me to brag about matter of fact i get nervous when i hear people begin to brag about what they've accomplished in their christian life because the truth of the matter is man when you get a a clear picture of jesus it's very humbling 
remember when our daughter uh, first came to Christ. We found her hiding. Uh, she was just a little girl. We found her hiding in the closet, and she was really upset. What had happened? She realized she was a sinner, and she was broken. And that has to happen before the power of Christ invades us. We have to realize that we do need a Savior. We have to realize that we have sinned, that we have broken God's law, that we've transgressed against Him. And I'm just not a fan of those Christians that have that air about them. I remember uh, Cindy and I, the first church that we served after seminary, was on staff in this church, and we had this evangelist come in, and, and he did a good job speaking. But I'll tell you the truth. I didn't like the guy. And he made you feel, or he made me feel like this big. You know, I was like the, the youth minister peon. And I remember thinking that. And, and, you know, we should never make each other feel that way. There's no such thing as a peon in the kingdom of God. We all matter. And Paul's saying here, look, I'm not the guy that's got it all together. I'm not the one who has fully arrived. We should strive for excellence, but not perfection, because we're not going to reach perfection until we're in heaven with the Master himself. Someone has said, a perfectionist is a person who takes great pains and gives them to everybody else. And that's not the goal that we're to have. The goal is to serve Christ. Second, Look what he says here, that the past is over. We're not to strive there. He says in the uh, next part of the scripture, uh, in verse 13, forgetting what is behind. The Greek means completely forgiving, and it's an athletic term of a race where the runner who is leading does not look back to see who's behind him, but his eyes... And his body is fixed on the goal line ahead. As he is straining toward that goal line ahead, not looking back. And so the call here for us is that our lives are not meant to be in what is past. It's okay to celebrate the past, but don't live in the past. Some people live in the past with their accomplishments. We've all met those people. It happened 25 years ago, and every time we bump into them, they have to tell us again what happened 25 years ago because it was this great accomplishment that they still live for, that they still dream of. Paul says, don't live then. But also, there's those great failures. We also know those people. Every time we see them, they're so filled with regret, and they're so broken because they live in those past sins and those past failures. Jesus said, get out of there. And he died on the cross to take care of that stuff. Don't live back there. That's not the joy of the Lord. You're not supposed to be weighted down. It's the devil who's the great accuser. Jesus came to take that away. So we're called to to get away from that, to, to not live in the past. Third, the future holds out hope. Notice he says here, I press on. I press on. And... And the picture here, it's another athletic term of the chariot races in the Olympic Games. Must have been tough driving those chariots. I mean, you know, these guys had to wear these long skirts. That's painful enough. And then they had these long boots and and these long horse reins. And to get your balance, you had to lean forward, which, you know, seems kind of crazy. I might fall, you know, get 
you know, it, and so there, there's this picture of difficulty. But, but it was necessary to have all of this in order to compete in these races and, and to move forward. And so the question that he gives us, what are, where are, you, are you engaged in the race? Which race are you engaged in? And it is, is it God's race? Is it the kingdom race? Is, is it headed toward what lasts forever? Because we all have a passion, but does that passion count? Will that passion be here in five years, in ten years, in, in, in twenty years? Will it be here forever? You see, it's only God's passion that will never fade, that will always last. Um, it's interesting, I was reading about uh, James Ballard, who was the one who founded the Titanic wreckage. Uh, he searched for it for 13 years before he was able to locate it. But he said in his testimony, uh, when he was talking about growing up as a little kid, that he watched 20,000 leagues under the sea and was fascinated with Captain Nemo and told his parents, I want to know what's on the bottom of the sea. And so he began a quest and started finding wreckages. And uh, as a result of that, he found uh, two main ships from World War II. He, he found the Bismarck, who was... Uh, probably the greatest battleship of the German fleet in World War II. And then he found the USS Yorktown, uh, one of the United States battleships that was on the ocean bottom. And it was interesting, as he began to search, he, at that time in the 80s, there was a new technology of unmanned submarines. And he thought, well, you know, could use that to find the Titanic. They weren't interested in funding that, the U.S. government, but what they were interested in funding was several nuclear submarines that were somewhere in that area. So they told Ballard, hey, if you can find those nuclear submarines, then you can use the technology to find the Titanic. And both were a success. And, and he talked about that awe of when they were finally able to locate the Titanic. He said at first, when, when they saw it, they were like celebration. They were excited. But then there was a, a, a type of um, reverence as they realized it was also a graveyard of 1,500 people who had drowned in that place, in that area. But this was his pursuit for so many years. And he still has a pursuit to, you know, to find other sunken vessels. But what is your pursuit? What is your pursuit? Fourth, the secret is a determined attitude. A determined attitude in verse 15. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Maturity. Uh, James 1, 2 through 4 tells us, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, how often do you celebrate? Here's a trial. Yeah, I'm so happy. Nope. I tell everybody, I don't, you know, we really don't want to volunteer for these things. But why does he say to get excited, to celebrate trials? He says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. In other words, so that God will grow us up to become adults spiritually. And that comes by perseverance. It comes by not being some confident, victorious,
victorious person who I'm just going to attack hell with a squirt gun mentality. But it comes from just walking with Jesus day after day and trusting Him even when you feel like you can't get up or get out of bed. But just to cling to Him and to follow Him. It it comes through that perseverance. There's a story of an evangelist that Chuck Swindoll talks about in one of his books who said he, he loved to hunt. And he had two young bird dogs, top-notch bulldogs that he kept in his backyard. And one day he looked out in the backyard and there was a bulldog that had climbed under the fence. And at first he thought, well, there's going to be a fight out there. I really should go out there and do something. He thought, no, I'll teach that bulldog a lesson. So uh, sure enough, his two bird dogs got in a fight with that bulldog. And the bulldog, after taking a good beating crawled back under that fence. Well, the next day, to his surprise, the bulldog came back, crawled back under the fence, got in a scuffle again, again was defeated, and again crawled back under that fence. Well, the evangelist said that he had to uh, go and had some speaking engagements and was gone for a couple of weeks. And when he returned, he said, "Uh, you ever see that bulldog anymore? And she said, honey, you would not believe what has happened since you've been gone. Here's her testimony. She said, every day at the same time, every morning, that little bulldog came back in the backyard and fought with our two setters. He didn't miss a day. And I want you to know that it's come to the point that when our setters hear that bulldog snorting down the alley... (laughs) and spot him squeezing under the fence, they immediately start whining and run down into our basement. That little old bulldog struts around our backyard now just like he owns the place. The power of perseverance. Just going forward. Fifth, to keep a high standard together. A high standard together. Look at uh, verse 16. As he says to us, only let us live up to what we have already attained. This is not something you do alone. We are to share that upward calling. We are to aim for that target above together. We need each other as we need him. And his work is accomplished as we strive together to accomplish it. You know, we think in the scripture of some of those people who, they look tough, but they failed miserably. Samson, the strongest guy, he was knocking down the enemy with ease. He was impressive. He had the, you know, that beautiful flowing locks of hair and all that. Of course, we know what happened to him. He had a bad fall as that hair was removed and the power of God left him. And and then as, as we look in the scripture, we think of Saul, you know, he... He's the Hollywood hunk. I mean, he's selected king and he looks the part. You know, all, you know, handsome and tough and the ladies are swooning and and he takes the throne and all looks good. But, man, he had a terrible fall as he lost the kingdom. As he tried to make decisions that left God out and eventually he was the one out. Out of rule as as a king. But then we look at others, uh, we look at Daniel, you know, time after time, as we did a stay not long ago in the book of Daniel, how Daniel looked like he was defeated and he was suffering and God just kept bringing victory. 
and, and he kept showing Daniel, hey, I love you. I'm with you. I'm going to speak through you. And then Rahab. I mean, here was a woman. I, Rahab the prostitute. I mean, she didn't have the best reputation in the world. But what happened? She trusted God. And she was rewarded. And that's the story for all of us. It's not where we've been. It's who we trust that makes the difference. And, and that's true with, with Rahab. And so she had a great ending because of where she placed her trust. And then Paul, as he's waiting to die, as he waits in a prison, but he's not sulking. He's not defeated. This is a book that speaks about joy. But because he had his aim at the right target. Uh, matter of fact, progress is maintained as we forget yesterday, focus on tomorrow while we keep the right attitude in the present, now, today. Matt Emmons uh, had the gold medal in sight at the 2004 Olympic 50-meter three-position rifle event. All he had to do, he didn't have to get a bullseye. He just had to make a, a decent shot and he would win the gold medal. But Matt ended up in eighth place in the 2004 Olympics. He got an 8.1, which is close to a perfect shot. There was only one problem. He aimed at the wrong target. It doesn't matter if you hit a near bullseye if it's the wrong target. <laughs> so he ended up in eighth place. Here's the challenge. It's not enough to hit the target if it's the wrong target. Is our target just to be comfortable? Is our target just to kind of settle and rest until heaven? Or is our target to see as God sees, to love as God loves, and to have a compassion that He causes to have? What, what, what is your target? What is the bullseye? May we be able to say, Paul, that I've not considered myself to have taken hold of it. But this thing I do, I forget what's behind and strain toward what's ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word, God. You call us to hang tough and to hang together. You know where we are, Father. You died on a cross before we were in this moment, Lord, knowing we would need you. And Father, maybe there is a person here who heard about you, has thought about you, but has never trusted in you as Savior, never found the forgiveness that you won at Calvary. Maybe there's someone else here who heard about, you know, know about church, but just never decided. I need a Savior. Maybe today's that day. Father, we want to worship you. It's all about Jesus. That's You're the one we're here to worship and to honor and to glorify. You're the one that forgives us of sin. You're the one that gives us a new start. You're the goal. And I pray, Father, that as we take time to respond, that the altar's open. May we come as you call us. Father, if it's to pray uh, at the altar, if it's to just pray at the front, Father, um, w- with me to be able to say, uh, God, I, I just, I just want to honor you.
or, or maybe it's just where we are to make a decision. Uh, it, it's, Father, it's not about um, some kind of public showing, although a public showing in your word indicates that it cements the decision because sometimes when we keep it to ourselves, it just never becomes part of our lives. And I, I don't think your word's ever meant to just be something we keep to ourselves. So I just pray this morning that we would respond to you, whatever that call may be, and that you, O oh Lord, would change us for the glory of Christ. And so, Father, bring us to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.